Tall Ships America, and you are listening to A Bark, A Brig, and A Schooner Walk Into a Bar, a podcast where I get to know the people in our Tall Ships community. If you've been enjoying these episodes, please rate us on Apple Podcasts and consider becoming a Tall Ships America member so I can keep talking to cat-loving captains. We are also in the middle of our membership drive and just launched a referral program. Be a member, get a member, and you could earn Tall Ships America merchandise. Help us support the Tall Ships and their sail training programs by donating or becoming a member at tallshipsamerica.org. This week's guest is Captain Alex Peacock, full-time captain with Spirit of Bermuda, sometime captain with Tall Ship Links. I grill Alex about the history of Baltimore Clippers and letters of Mark. We learn about his family's connection to the Wilkes Exploring Expedition and his great-great-great-great-grandfather, Rear Admiral George Emmons. And he tells us about a hair-raising arrival into Havana's Marina Hemingway. I do want to note that this was recorded back in May, and Spirit of Bermuda has been running their school programs, and Lynx was able to sail along the East Coast this summer. They are currently in Annapolis, and you can find more information about both of the vessels on their websites, bermudasloopfoundation.org and tallshiplinks.com. Alex, thank you so much for being here, taking time out of your busy schedule to talk to me. Very busy, but what a delight. Thank you for having me, Erin. <laughs> the delight is all mine. So if I can just have you say your name, uh, where you're working now, and your position at that organization. Yep. Uh, my name is Alex Peacock. I am captain uh, with Spirit of Bermuda, primarily. But um, with everything going on, I'll be heading to Lynx to finish up a rigging job and then de the delivery north, hopefully. So kind of in between, but I'm affiliated with both right now. All right. Well, do you mind sharing a little bit about Spirit of Bermuda? I think uh, I did interview Simon Colley, but he had, he's mm. been at Spirit of Bermuda for se several years ago. So mm -hmm. I was wondering if you can give me a little bit of an update on Spirit of Bermuda and what programs they run. Same mission, um, changing lives one voyage at a time. Uh, <laughs> middle school uh, students. So every middle school student in Bermuda, whether that be public, private, um, and other opportunities, uh, you know, such as homeschooling as well. It gets the opportunity and has the right to sail for a one-week voyage uh, during the winter, uh, five-day voyage uh, aboard Spirit. And, you know, it's, it's expeditionary learning, uh, hands-on learning, everything tall ships offer. There is sort of an aligned curriculum that jives with what they're doing in the, in the school system. Uh, so we, we cover lesson plans and uh, the Seven Habits of uh, Stephen Covey and um, Environmental Stewardship, all the good stuff, STEM-related, <laughs> yeah, all that stuff. So we do that around Bermuda. Uh, we have an agenda to get done during that week, fitting and snorkeling, getting to uh, a protected island called Nunsuch, where the uh, rare and infamous cacao bird nests. Um, the students get to see um, the baby chicks and, you know, cool stuff like that. But every, every week is different because it is a sailboat and weather's real, but uh, we, um, we have a lot of fun with it. And then, you know, on top of that, we do our overseas voyages primarily to the States um, once a year, sometimes down to the islands, Turks and Caicos, um, with other fun stuff, you know, right. Newport to Bermuda race, Antigua Classic things of that nature. And okay. we hope to get back to that routine again. Yeah. 
<laughs> I'm sure the kids wish that too. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We're very sympathetic to the students that are, are missing out on this. And we try to remain positive that one way or another, we'll get them all back through the program. We also do skiller voyages. So students that have done the program get to come back uh, mm -hmm. and be a little more hands-on and take a little more charge of the, of the vessel, knowing okay. kind of the routine already. I'm sure it doesn't suck to sail around Bermuda. It's a lot of fun. You, you know, people don't realize it, and it's a lot of a lot of fun watching them step off the cruise ship in the winter. But it gets chilly. It's subtropical, uh, so in the winter months, a cold front comes through. It gets down into the fifties. Ooh, bird! And uh, the, wa the water's cool. You know, it's yeah. mid sixties, but it's always windy. You know, in the winter time, it's always windy, so the sailing is always spectacular. And you do get those really nice warm days uh, yeah. as well, mixed into the week. Well, t can you tell me a little bit about Lynx since you kind of, you, you tend to bop back and forth between, I always associate yeah. you with Lynx, although mm -hmm. I think the first time I met you was on Pride of Baltimore, but we can get to that. Yeah, so Lynx is kind of, a, a, carries many hats as far as its program. Um, we want it to be more student engaged, but due to the nature of the vessel's construction, we have to do other things such as day sales, revenue type, type stuff. Um, but moving between Florida, Georgia, and then Nantucket uh, in the summer is our yearly routine. Um, and we have programs set up in both locations. Uh, but really the big, the heart of the program and the support of the program come from Nantucket through Egan Maritime. Uh, and they provide us the students to be there on the water maritime component. Again, expeditionary, try to get to Mystic, Connecticut, historic atmospheric ports if we can um and in the meantime we're, we're putting people aboard in a public setting as well but always keeping that education whether it be history sail training um as the theme uh right now currently she is wintered in brunswick georgia we have both masts all the rigging both fore and main masts out of the boat she's just been repowered well, I was heading back actually when I left Bermuda <laughs> March 14th and I got there a day later to just come to New Hampshire, but um, hoping to get back down to do that. And then we'll come up North and uh, just be a presence, you know, show up, be a, be a sight to see and, you know, hopefully make something out of it as, you know, this will be July. So maybe, yeah. maybe some things will be different, but. I don't know. Every yeah. day it's something different. <laughs> but anyway, you know, that's what Lynx is continually building their program and, and outreach to stay relevant and mm -hmm. and work with the, all the changes um, here and there. And well, she has a, she's based on a, her uh, official name is Privateer. 1812 Privateer Lynx? The official name is Lynx, but she's right. representation of, yeah, the Privateer Lynx. Yeah. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> yeah. Can you talk a little bit about the history of, is she based on a, on a real vessel? Yeah, she's based on the Lynx, which was um, uh, built in 1812. I, I gotta, I gotta look at my references, Erin. Uh, she was, <laughs> uh, had kind of a short career as she was later captured in the Rappahannock River, which is an estuary uh, feeding into Chesapeake Bay. So she was captured. She ended up, she was with four other uh, Baltimore Clipper privateering vessels, and they were bombarded by uh, several smaller British longboats that had snuck up on them and 
and Lynx being kind of last in line said, well, we see the fate of the other boats. Let's, um, he was dolphin chaser and Arab. We see the fate of their burning hulks. So we're going to surrender. And that's what they did. And, you know, the British had a massive fleet. They didn't have a lot of reason for experimental builds and they were very curious and, um, cautious when it came to these Baltimore Clippers being extremely lofty vessels, high aspect rigs, uh, very rakish, dangerous boats, but in the right hands, very effective and maneuverable. So they reverse engineered it to study it, took it apart, put it back together, documented it. Lloyd's Lloyd's Register has those plans um, now, and that's why we have the current links. Mm -hmm. Um, She was renamed Moscadabit taken into service as a mail packet out of Nova Scotia and that's really the last uh, herd of the herd of the vessel. Can you what is what exactly is a privateer? What does that mean? Uh, so a privateer was a privately owned vessel that was essentially endorsed, given a license by the government, in this case a letter of mark, and there were varying levels of that license and what you could do with it. But it, uh, the United States, having a, a small navy at the time, um, relied heavily on privateers. There are privateers all around the world, uh, essentially acting as private militias to carry out blockade running, uh, capturing of foreign flag vessels that they were currently in, in uh, you know, a war, uh, war engagement with. Um, you know, Lynx was a, a privateer uh, running blockades, but also had her letter of mark included the ability to capture British merchant ships or, or any British ship, but I don't Mm -hmm. think you'd want to go up against a ship of a line. Uh, (laughs) Um, Yeah. So, so essentially a a private militia on the water. Well, the, the history portion test, the history test is over. So now we can kind of, (laughs) I know I didn't tell you that. Believe it or not, I have have a strong appreciation for it, but (laughs) I fell in love with the technology, not the history. <laughs> well, then that, let's kind of let's go back to Tiny Alex. So, when what was your first tall ship? I know um, I mentioned previously. I think the first time I met you was um, I want to say like 2010 in the Great Lakes. If you were a deckhand, yeah, it would have been pride. 2010. Yeah. How did you get into tall ships? Uh, you know, I, I kind of had a sailing background growing up, um, after high school, it was getting to be pretty apparent that I was not going to move on to uh, college. Um, I was working construction jobs, carpentry jobs, things of that nature. And I think it was actually my mother that saw an ad in the paper about (laughs) the windjammer fleet hiring. And I said, well, that, that sounds interesting. And I had been talking to people I knew about getting on boats yachts whatever I really didn't know anything about it and so I investigated it I think I applied to every boat in the in the fleet at that time and the great thing about the Windjammer fleet is some of the boats they do hire completely green crew and I think that's um, a really good stepping stone or opportunity for somebody trying to get into it Um, and and that's what I did I, I I eventually got hired by the Timberwind, which was mm-hmm. operating out of Rockport, uh, Maine, which I, where, where Lynx was built, and Spirit of Bermuda. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> By Rockport Marine. Um, so a little bit of full circle happening. Yeah, right? <laughs> um, it, it, she did three to six day windjammer cruises. So, you know, mm-hmm. people coming actually from all over the world sometimes, but mostly uh, in, in stateside coming aboard and, and doing the lobster bakes, exploring beautiful Penobscot Bay. And 
Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, had a yawl boat, so no auxiliary power in, in Timberland herself, but, but a push boat called a yawl boat um, as auxiliary propulsion. And just to clarify, though, and I just found this out recently, is it the entire Windjammer fleet, none of them have engines? A few of them actually do have engines, uh, but okay. the fleet is changing a little bit up there now, but uh, predominantly yaw boat assisted, which is right. cool. And, you know, you it's have to so sail cool. your boat differently. And, and yeah. instead of thinking three boats ahead, boat lengths ahead, you're probably thinking more like 10, 12 boat lengths ahead. Um, yeah, that's incredible. I had no idea. And these aren't small little sailboats either. These are rather significantly sized vessels. Um, mm-hmm. It's a little badass. <laughs> yeah, it, it really is. I mean, the seamanship involved is, you know, nobody nobody as an entry-level captain is, as far as I know, really making that happen. That, that's right. experience, experienced people uh, with a lot of uh, trade skill are, are operating these vessels and in true heritage and and um, yeah. so how incredible that that was your first experience I think that kind of plants a flag doesn't it <laughs> yeah <just> it, like <laughs> I intended on going back uh, a second season after I only did one season up there um, I really enjoyed it I made some very close friends who I'm still in touch with uh, as often happens in the tall ship family community mm-hmm. But, but then that's kind of when links uh, appeared. So you're a co-captain with your dad on links. So I was on the um, the trip from uh, where'd we leave from San Diego uh, to the East Coast and then up into the Great Lakes, of course. Mm-hmm. After finishing the winter down in Florida uh, with Bounty on Peanut Island. If you oh. haven't experienced <laughs> Peanut Island, great spring break location. Um, <laughs> nothing bad happens there. And, no. But um, so he, so he kind of got involved, my father being in the maritime business, having a uh, boat brokerage uh, business out of Newburyport, Mass, befriended Woody and Jeff Woods, who was running the program at the time, and just kind of became a guy with local knowledge mm-hmm. of where links could have possibilities to operate out of since the office was still in California there was it was appearing that after the 2010 Great Lakes events she wasn't going to head back so what's going to happen over here right and Mr. Local the governor as I call (laughs) sometimes Doc Peacock got himself uh, involved uh, kind of as a uh, volunteer basis and then uh, he ended up kind of just being pushed into it really mm-hmm. uh, by the board of directors at the time and eventually just grew and he took over I got involved through um, I left pride and he was in a real big pinch with a pending COI about the lapse and a captain that had to leave and I got called up to kind of get him through that and then you know I was the guy to lean on from there <laughs> so I became <laughs> yeah, yeah. so it happens yeah. when your family you can't really say no <laughs> yeah so there's the family aspect to that and <laughs> no but we work really well together mm-hmm. and um you know he doesn't have the traditional background I have I don't have the life experience and, and the experience he has so right so we, we kind of brought two good things to the table and um so I stay involved but you know as as you need to expand and learn I branched out a bit but yeah help out when I can so I was doing a little creepy digging around though on uh Facebook and um your dad mentioned in a post that it was a photo and I think it was a caption of of the two of you he mentioned that there's seven generations of traditional sailors in your family 
which is rather impressive. I was wondering if you could kind of expand on that a little bit. Do you know, I, we're back to the history lesson again. I do apologize, but. It's fine. And you know, now, now I'm thinking and, and regretting a little bit, Aaron. I should have been doing the family tree and the, the genealogy. Well, I didn't know this was going to lead this way. So I apologize. I kind of like led you into this and like threw you under the bus a little bit. Well, you're going to, it's um, his story. So I don't want to ruin his story, oh, but yes, right. there, a history of um, um, Emmons. I'm trying to remember the first name, but my great, great, great-grandfather was he and my great-great-great-grandmother discovered Alaska, Alaska and became the first uh, white settlers of Alaska and it was through the Wilkes expedition a marking territorial boundary in Washington and Alaska and I'm not going to spoil the rest but okay. <laughs> there, there's history there. Um, yeah right look it up. <laughs> yeah <laughs> I think Jamie Trost actually knows it better than I do to tell you the truth. So you've been on links in Pride of Baltimore as we said any other vessels that you have sailed in? Um, yeah, little, little bits here and there, you know, I never did the big square rig. I'm not saying it's too late, but I never did the big, you know, square rig ship sailing mm -hmm. around the world thing, which I'd like <laughs> to fit in at some point. Sure. <laughs> I, I kind of fast tracked in, in, in one way. Um, but you know, uh, I worked well, as far as my first commands or my first captain's jig gigs was with Portland schooner company with the gear and Windamine. I did that for two back-to-back -back summer seasons, uh, mm -hmm. then taking links south and then north again um, in the winter, uh, spring and fall months. Did work with Adventure, uh, did a few weeks on Eagle. Um, I'm, I'm kind of just your, your North American small <laughs> town New guy. England sailor. <laughs> <laughs> I think you didn't link stopping Cuba on their way to the Gulf Coast in 2018? wasn't on the way to the Gulf Coast. This was a separate event that we, we so uh, that year was the first year that they had been able to do the St. Petersburg Yacht Club to Havana race. First year they brought that back and we thought, how cool would it be to do it with Lynx? We were supposed to do something where U.S. nationals would sail down and then Cuban nationals we'd bring back to the United States. It didn't work out. We ended up just going down with, with crew uh, okay. and doing the race. Uh, we were very excited to do it. Um, the wind died during the race and in oh. all the feedback I was getting from other captains was do not go in at night. And I said, okay, well, that's easy. Not going to do that. <laughs> but the wind died. We were trying to keep a speed. We were, you know, it's always that. Do we drop out by starting the engine? What do we do? And it, it turned right. out because we had this big system that was going to blow strong out of the east for a few days and that's no place to be in the straits when it's blowing 25 plus mm -hmm. out of the east so everybody was you know the fast boats were already there there was everything from high performance vessels to us uh they were already there we were behind everything mm -hmm. so we had to fire <laughs> up and we had to beat the weather and get in um uh the sun had gone down there was no moon um it was pitch black you know, we're working off a, a, a Cuban chart that comes with the pencil corrections, which is cool. Right. <laughs> which you could still get a chart that way. But um, <laughs> uh, I had Chris Jander on board and he was my right hand man and, and Casey Laro, of course, and mm -hmm. uh, Angela Wilt and, and the others. But, uh, you know, I had Chris on the chart getting me lined up, course of steer. We finally found the sea buoy. There were six other boats that were not attempting to enter. They they had just they had 
spooked themselves. You really couldn't make out the channel. The channel is only 100 feet wide. And now if you look at 100 feet, it's not much. And no, it's put not. put yourself on a 100-foot vessel, it's really not much. <laughs> right. Um, the swell's picking up enough where everything's just rocking around, and we're, we're trying to make sense of this channel. The green, the first green is out. But anyways, we ended up finding it. We took three attempts before we actually got in on the fourth attempt. Um, and it, it's, it's a little creepy. It's narrow, and it's a reef on both sides, and it's breaking waves in the mm -hmm. channel. So we get in and uh, you immediately take a hard, this is Marina Hemingway. I'm sure you'll have many listeners that have been in there. Um, oh, Marina thank Hemingway. you for saying that we'll have many listeners. That was very sweet of you. Do <laughs> <laughs> uh, many listeners like my mom? <laughs> <laughs> Mine too. <laughs> yeah. Um, you, you take a pretty, you take a 90 degree left turn once you're once you're in and you're through the channel and then you immediately go alongside of customs and big sigh of relief we're in um by the way we are bringing in supplies for just locals students um what it, school supplies books um all kinds of stuff and so we're, we're clearing customs chris jander had gone ashore to figure out where we're docking marina hemingway is just kind of unfinished resort with all these these fingers that mm -hmm. um, are alleyways that are all you know for boats to dock at and then on the land part in between these these alleyways were supposed to be kind of like condos and they didn't really get built up too much so it was kind of just grass right um he's like well how good are you at backing up i said uh, what do you mean? He's like, well, we're going 2,000 feet down this alleyway and we, <laughs> and we can't turn around once we're in it. And I said, I'll do a backflip at this point. I'm just glad to be in. So, so good at backing up. So good. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of my thing. You commit, you commit or you don't, you know? Yeah, yeah exactly. What are you going to do? <laughs> so we did. We, it, you know, it's just the, the hard part was it was just pitch black and we couldn't right. make out anything. You had never been in there before. And, and so we did. And we backed up and we're waving all these fancy yachts that are already tied up. And they're just looking at us like, hmm, I don't want to be doing that. <laughs> and we get in and we partied uh, in, a, in a very healthy, safe way. Um, <laughs> For six days because they closed the channel. Yeah, the oh. channel was breaking breaking surf and they closed it down to the whole fleet. So owners and everybody were flying out, ditching their boats. Um, we had run out of cash at that point. We were only planning on being there for two days. <laughs> Day six, it was time to pay up. And um, I had a couple of iPhones I uh, had to barter with. So long story short, we... <laughs> Like, yeah, iPhones and Levi's, right? <laughs> yeah, I don't know how much I should be saying, but yeah, trade is still a thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's old school, really, Alex, is what it's it nice. is. It's very, it's nice. yeah. <laughs> well, how is Cuba? Um, well, I'm, I'm assuming so, but uh, were you able to get out and explore the island at all, or did you have to kind of stay close to where the ship was in the marina? Not as much as I would have liked to. I made sure that the crew had plenty of time to to get around. You know, they couldn't really get further than Havana, but you know that that's kind of just immerse yourself there and right. you're good. I, I would have loved to see the south South Shore and the mountains. I mean, it's hard to believe that there's mountains 90 miles south of Key West. Yes, uh, actually, <laughs> a little more than 90, but just about. Right. And right. Uh, you know, I, I was mostly trying to actually raise money at that time. <laughs> 
and, and figure out how, how to get out. But we enjoyed it. We, uh, we had a lot of great camaraderie with the other boats. There were 80 boats. Oh I my think gosh. They did it again, uh, and there were only like 10 or 12 boats. Um, yeah. But this, this was a, a thing that everybody was doing, you know. Everybody. Right. And uh, so there are lots of great party. We hosted, um, you know, a, a kind of a get to, get to know each other party on links. And we, we really just wanted to network and, and make people of St. Pete and the Yacht Club know that, hey, you know, we're, we're sailors too. And we're not just, you know, tall ship sailors with our hand out here. We, <laughs> we want to be included right. and we have something to offer. And oh, we yeah, like exactly. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> um, yeah, we're we're here for the community, and uh, yeah. we but we need help. So no, we had a lot of fun and <laughs> gained a lot of support. Made a lot of great friends who we're still in contact with today. Yeah, uh, we actually had uh, a guy named John Foster who's on uh, the Lynx board still, who's a St. Pete local aboard, and you know he was just his mind was blown with the whole experience. And um, I can't uh, imagine. I was so jealous. Saw you guys all do that because there was like a year where. A lot of people I knew were going to Cuba, and I was just like, it, mm -hmm. like <laughs> it wasn't easy. I mean, the, the permits we had to have via mm -hmm. the Coast Guard, because, you know, we're going out of our... Um, right. Are you carrying passengers? Wait, no, you weren't carrying passengers. No, but we still we still had to get a, um excursion permit from the Coast Guard right. because we were going to Cuba and because we were operating outside of our, our, CUA, our certificate of inspection and approved route. Right. And then the insurance and the visas for every individual and uh, learning. Yeah, I learned a hard lesson there, too. It's like, no matter if you plan on going international or not, make sure your crew members all have a passport because we had to deal with that last minute, too. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Keep your passport, even if you don't plan on leaving the country. Um, that's awesome, though. What was Havana like? What were the people? I mean, did people come down to see the ship? Were the, were the, was the general public allowed to come down to see the ship? Uh, yes and no. Um, there wasn't too much activity in the marina as far as the public, but there's always people that that, that come down because they're curious. They're not allowed to step on, on board. And I think a lot of them are a little bit in fear um, uh, of the government. And so- Oh, they, oh they, right, right. Yeah, I was like, so we they follow, seem that scary. <laughs> they, they follow their rules very right. strictly. Um, <laughs> the, the people were very friendly. The, the, yeah. um, I mean, as they are, as people are, people right. are good. People are right. friendly, and you know, uh, it's just good to. Of course, there's a language barrier. I, I don't speak Spanish, but a lot of people do speak English. Um, right. Right. Uh, and you know, you're riding around in these cool old cars from the '50s that are mm -hmm. completely stripped down on the interior, but on the outside, they're gorgeous. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and uh, no, but they were they were great. The food was awesome. I I thought it was awesome. A lot of people are like, yeah, it's don't expect much, but we found some, we found some good, just simple plates, protein, the starch, right. and grain, and salad, but you never felt, I never felt at risk for anything. You were never right. caught, that cautious where you felt like you had to look over your shoulder. There was never that presence, like, so yeah, it was good. Well, what an incredible experience, though. Yeah. That's, um, that's really, really cool, but it also kind of brings me, it kind of brings me around, you know, the importance of tall ships, and here you are in this, it's kind of like a, I almost want to say a goodwill ambassador. You know, you're mm -hmm. you're not a yacht, but you're you're a very traditional looking vessel, and there is something about that that draws people to you that makes people kind of open up a little bit. You know, because yeah. you're you're not a you're not a super yacht, although you are in your heart. But well, yeah, <laughs> people know, and as people know that the tall ship and people are here because they're passionate about it. They they right. like other people. They believe in 
education and they believe in experience and, and they have um, uh, just a passion and a love for it. So you're, you're, you're not bringing people that are in it for the monetary or, you know, self-fulfilling reasons generally. Right. Um, right. So yeah, yeah, to your point. So that's really cool then. And I'm so impressed. So any, any other cool places that you've, that you've sailed to? Galveston, Texas. Galveston, that would be that would be in my top three. <laughs> yeah, lots of places. Um, I, I'm if I'm sailing around New England, I'm always happy. Uh, I don't blame uh, you. Yeah, yeah, but um, you also said that you helped deliver the ship from San Diego. Well, I was I was a crew member on Lynx. Yeah, when we when we brought the ship from San Diego via Panama Canal to, um, I, then actually straight to Miami, then Great Lakes, but. What about going through the canal, though? Because I'm sure Lynx was probably was like a, a canoe in comparison to some of the the super tankers yeah. going through. Like that must have been a little uh, a little daunting, a little bonkers, but also really kind of neat. Um, yeah, they they stuffed us right into the lo- into the locks with with the other you know bigger bulkers and and, and cargo ships. So. You never want to be as close as you are in that situation ever again. But oh my God, one sneeze and you guys are like splinters. That's that's yeah. he's bad enough going through the Welland. <laughs> <laughs> we asked for a slow fill, <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, it, it was it was cool. We spent Christmas day, uh, Christmas Eve and day inside at anchor in uh, Lake G- Gatun. I, I don't. Remember. Yeah, no, very yes, something like yeah. that. Yeah. And it was just really cool. We had a little Christmas celebration and I remember we're just sitting around listening to all these jungle noises, exotic mm-hmm. noises, and mm-hmm. just hoping that we weren't going to wake up to find out that those noises were coming from a creature that also could swim. <laughs> um, <laughs> so it, it was definitely, definitely very cool. You are in the middle of the jungle and, um, how interactive are you in the Panama Canal? Are is it? Are you just more? Are you more passive, or is it? Or are you very active in the Panama? There's a lot of pressure to send the heaving line and the right kind of heaving line to the longshoremen or you mm-hmm. know working the locks because they will throw it back if it doesn't suit them. Oh, um, but I think they they did the majority of the control and it was sort of a slower fill. Right. Um, I, I, I honestly, Aaron, I, no, I, I mix it up. Okay. I, you know, I've been in and out of the great lakes several times too. So it, I don't. We can talk about the Welland. Yeah. <laughs> well then what do you see is the value of these ships? You've been doing this for a long time. You're very active um, within the community and links of course is very active. It, it sounds like wherever she goes and you're working, um, very hard to maintain these traditions, but why? Why is this so important? Well, well, for me, I'll kind of back up a little bit and work up to the question. Um, I, I've, I always struggled in an academic setting and in anything you do, academics are important. There's always gonna be that aspect with any profession, especially if you start working your way up. But I really struggle in the classroom. I struggle with academics. And so I was a very hands-on uh, visual, physical learner. So obviously there's a natural connection with mm-hmm. tall ships for me. So that's a great importance. So you can take any kind of learner, any type of learner and put them in a neutral setting. And that is the deck of a tall ship and everybody's gonna go through the motions. And yes, of course, you'll get people that pick up other things more so than others, but it really is a neutral um, 
root base for kind of growing together as a, as a group and everybody's uniqueness and unique potentials are brought up to the surface in a real team effort, uh, group effort. Um, you learn the importance of clear, concise communication. Communication is a, a very tricky thing uh, in the world we live in. A lot of our issues, wars, conflicts, strife are based on misunderstanding and improper communication. So I think a tall ship is just a really good platform to get to the root of simplicity and connecting with people and realizing that we all want the same thing. We all have something to offer. How do we get there and how do we help each other get there? Because I just, I don't believe, I am a two brains are better than one kind of person. Um, I have skills. I lack skills in other areas that other people are good at. The importance to me is definitely the education aspect of just being on the ship and, and sailing the ship. And then it's always important to add other aspects to that, learning about your environment and how to take care of the earth um, responsibly, you know, as, as far as stewardship goes. Well, it was interesting that you, you said that you, at the beginning um, of this conversation, that you were more interested in the the technical aspects of mm -hmm. the ships as opposed to the historical aspects of it. Uh, can you expand on that a little bit? What, what do you mean by that? It was probably the day before I became captain that I realized that's something I might want to do. Uh, I, it was never, as I started my career as a deckhand, worked my way up, it was not really, I saw myself more in the bosun's role or a carpentry role, something like that, because that's, that's just what I, the kind of stuff I, mechanics I, I would do. Um, but I, I love the, I'm not an artist, but I have an appreciation for art and I just love the art uh, mm -hmm. of rigging and seamanship putting it together, making it all work, and the beauty and the mechanics that coincide. So I fell in love with the, the 18th, 19th century technology of the rig, of the hull construction. Ended up going to Mystic Seaport for two years, working in the rigging department there, specifically for the, Mor the Charles W. Morgan project, but um, many others uh, in that time. What was the Morgan project for those who aren't familiar with it? So the Charles W. Morgan is the last remaining wooden sailing vessel um, in the world, and it is a museum piece. And she was a whaling ship, though, right? Right. Yeah, she was. She was a whaling ship um, out of New Bedford. It was a very successful one, uh, yeah. and and she had gone through a couple hands that were preserving her uh, mm -hmm. as far as keeping her af afloat and as a museum piece. And then Mystic Seaport inherited it and kept it alive as, as a, a dockside education piece and just a piece, piece of national history. I'm, I'm like you, I'm a very visual learner. I have a hard time sitting in a classroom and, and just, and, and absorbing it. I have to, if I'm, if I'm seeing it or touching it, I, I retain it a lot better. Mm -hmm. um, but so, so I agree. I mean, being on a tall ship is, I could definitely see that there, this is, this is the action and then this is the immediate reaction. And I can definitely yeah. see how for someone who struggles in a classroom where everything is very conceptual um, mm -hmm. to being on a tall ship, to being hands-on and how that would be more suited to them, much more appealing. Yeah, and that's exactly it. Every, with every action, there's a, a reaction and, and it's immediate and you can see it, it's tangible. Mm -hmm. um, and, it, you know, and to kind of build on that too, it's also, you know, we've, seen, we've seen students that were 
kind of being written off by their peers, their parents, the school systems, come aboard these ships, take a risk, whether it was climbing a loft or doing something they never pictured themselves doing before, doing that, breaking down those barriers one, one step at a time, taking that risk, and then having their eureka moment saying, holy moly, I'm more than what I thought I was. <laughs> and go on to maritime school or not be the dropout that everybody thought they were, or, you know, whatever, whatever it was, we have, we have some really positive successful testimonials um, in, in the short period, as far as Lynx is concerned in that regard. And I know Spirit, um, the cool thing about Spirit is now, you know, she's been doing this since 2005, six, really built in 2005, so 2006. Mm -hmm. So she's now getting adults that have gone through the program to come ah. <laughs> and it, it, that's really important because as far as measuring this, it's, it's always a, something mm -hmm. we, we, we strive to do, but struggle to do. But when you have those testimonials of somebody that is let that seed be planted inside them and let it grow and then they can come back and speak to that, that that's right. important because you put these students th through this week long discomfort aboard a, a ship and they yeah, don't realize outside of their comfort zone yeah, West, yeah. it's not it's very comfortable <laughs> yeah there's instant hot water yeah, there's yeah. air conditioning <laughs> you should be pumping it out of a barrel um, you know but it's it's good to have those testimonials but you know it's it is it's it's risk-taking it's it's um seeing what you're capable of even though you never thought you were um i'm i i grew up a very very shy very private kind of perimeter kid and still sure. am in a lot of ways but yeah. I know tall ships has really kind of extracted me from that inside my own head at least yeah I can definitely see it's the kind of environment where you you can be quiet and you can be private but mm -hmm. you're very much part of something bigger than yourself and I think that isn't I think that's important I think people need to realize that they're that yes they're all unique sparkly unicorns but at the same time I think it is I think it is important to put yourself as a to be part of something bigger than yourself to be a cog in a wheel and to realize that it's not just about you it's about you working with other people and I think you get to see that so firsthand when you take these kids on board and you put them in these unusual new situations and all of a sudden they're asked to step out of their comfort zone and and it must be remarkable to see them do just that yeah yeah it, it, it certainly it certainly is <laughs> yeah i just daydream all day long about sailing and, and just watching you know people come aboard and just kind of have those eye-opening moments um yeah it is really special to see and it's unforgettable it really is to be a part of it is is incredible i know we keep saying that word a lot but it's it's hard to it's hard to come up with something else <laughs> yeah yeah it, it is <laughs> So, although I am going to slightly change the subject because we are just about coming up on the end mm -hmm. here, but I really, I had a quick question for you. I also, in, in some of my background research, I was, I came across this rather hilarious headline. Mm. Mm. Can you expand on this for me? <clears throat> okay, hold on. I'm just holding on to my seat here and getting comfortable. Okay. Go. <laughs> yeah. Brawny ship captain adopts uh, adorable first mate. <laughs> that was our very lovable 
uh, little creature cat, Lilu, mm -hmm. that he adopted mm -hmm. in St. Petersburg from Friends of Strays. Oh, um, nice. That kind of just a, a spontaneous moment one day, and the crew had finally kind of kept the pressure on to me, um, who thought this might be a horrible idea. And I can't say it was a horrible idea. It actually brought a lot <laughs> of joy. But... Um, <laughs> But yeah, we adopted her, we brought her aboard and she became mine very quickly. And I, mm -hmm. you know, and uh, yep, she, I fell in love with that cat dearly and she was pretty amazing and did all kinds of crazy stuff and disappeared in various ports for sometimes weeks at a time, one time a month at a time before she, uh, actually Don had, had commanded the time and he had gone back to uh, Florida to find her and he did which was which was crazy but uh, she disappeared on me once for 17 days she was found on another boat by people that were away they came back they found her uh, but yeah she she was very cool she was this very petite black short-haired cat and um just just completely huge personality she would talk to the dolphins the dolphins i don't know if you go below and sometimes actually if you wrap on the hull of a smaller boat or even even on a, a wooden hull whatever hull it is they, the dolphins will kind of they'll come up and they'll mm -hmm. start communicating and she would actually start communicating i don't know what she was saying but she would communicate <laughs> back to them and just just too funny ah boy the <laughs> stories uh um endless so entertainment the crew was over it i think the crew was oh. like this is constant heartbreak but you know what what we oh. learned at the end of the day is the cat's the cat if we bring her aboard we have to understand that she's a wild animal and she's going to be a cat so we're not going to lock her into a cabin and right you know keep her aboard we're going to let her be a cat and and so she's being a cat somewhere that we don't know we she was last seen in portland maine oh uh, okay did she have a collar she's chipped she had a collar yeah. um hopefully she's with a loving family that just yeah. couldn't give her back i don't know <laughs> But well, if anyone she, in Portland, Maine is listening, <laughs> yeah, check uh, your uh, check your black uh, your black cat, short hair black cat. But at um, Charleston Tall Ships, I remember people were coming to see the cat. They had seen that. Yes. They, I think it was that article or no, another article, um, and people um, were coming to see Lilu, the, the ship's cat. Yeah. And other ships yeah. have cats too. This was nothing unique, and we weren't trying to make it unique. But um, she was unique herself. Um, she was cute. I do remember. I yeah, do remember that cat. She's she very was. cute. Um, well, is there anything you wanted to that I missed? Any question that you wish I had asked? Anything you want to expand on or or reconfigure? Boy, um, <laughs> I don't know. I you know I, I don't know how you've been making out in this whole situation, but it's um, I really can't complain, but you, you, I can honestly feel the energy of the world, and there's a lot of people out there suffering, but I just hope we can get back to, to, to what we do best, and that's cultivate and keep this whole tall ship um, program going. Um, are, are you in, you're in Newport? Uh, well, I'm in Providence right Providence, now. Um, yeah, but we're, our office has been shut since March, um, but it is, it's really interesting no one knows what's going to happen. No one truly, honestly knows what the world is going to look like when we're when we're finally out of this. And I do believe that we will be out of this, but that uncertainty is so stressful. 
Um, yeah. And it's, t- and, but I do see hope. I do see all of our, I do see a lot of our members pivoting, reaching out to their community, doing incredible outreach to remind people that they are more than just the physical aspect of the ship. Yeah. Um, and I do see that a lot. And I do see the value in, <laughs> in going more online. <laughs> Unfortunately. Yeah. Yep. I, it, it's but, kind of a, a reality and a tool we have to use now. I, I know. Not. But man, I can't wait to be out on the water. I can't wait to go sailing again. It's it's just it seems like a lifetime ago. So yeah, no, we'll. I think we'll we'll get through it. It'll just be a different world that we that we that we see on the other side. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Great. But let me. Um. So thank you, Alex, for taking the time to sit with me today. I really do appreciate it. Um, a big hello to your dad <laughs> and sure. I hope you and your family are safe and I look forward to seeing you on the water someday soon likewise thank you very much Aaron it's been a pleasure and, and a treat in this current situation pandemic <laughs> a bark a brig and a schooner walk into a bar is a tall ships america production theme music provided by kebab studios you can find us in all the usual places twitter instagram facebook at Tall Ships America, and on our website at tallshipsamerica.org. Send us your sea stories or drop us a line at manager at tallshipsamerica.org. As always, be sure to support your local tall ship. Tall ship.